Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. In this episode, Johnny Vaughn shares with us a life of growing up without a dad, an abusive stepfather, being in and out of jail and the juvenile system, and where it has led to him this day as a father of two, grandfather of three, and he now designs and manufactures aftermarket Harley parts and married uh, to a very successful woman, as he would put it. This is a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. So I was uh, immediately intrigued, and I, I believe I reached out to you. I don't remember when you joined our group. Um, kind of, actually, I don't remember. How did we first start communicating? How did we first connect? Um, I think I always try to do um, little searches and stuff for um, uh, men's groups, mm -hmm. uh, forums, just to, to feed myself information. And I ran across your, uh, your group and um, I just joined it because it just felt um, it was going down the same, same avenue I was driving, Very you know, cool. is what it was to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really curious. This wasn't a planned question, so we'll see how it goes. How, how do you find um, the content and, and discussions and such in our group compared to some of the other men's groups that you're in? Um, I find it good because uh, we have, you know, I, I started up a, a, a page for our for our group too, but I take stuff that that you share and share it over there because anything that I can do to help uh, grow our men, yeah. it doesn't matter where it comes from. I don't care. Absolutely. I don't play Game of Thrones or anything like that. You know, right. it's like I just pull from wherever I can get it from and post it, and you know, just hopefully it'll. You know, it's just to help, just to help men grow. I mean, that's all I care about. Yeah. You I, know? Same here. I mean, it, yeah. it really is the, the deep desire. Like that's just what I want to do. I want men to have the resources so they can be better. So, mm -hmm. um, so your group, it's, is your group mostly local people that you know, or tell us a little bit about that? Um, they're local people, but there are some that, that were local that, that moved to other states and uh -huh. stuff and, yeah. and they're still part of it and, and we still communicate and, um, it's, um, it's basically local, uh, Southern California. Yeah. So, so you have a, um, maybe not a unique story. I think it's unique. You've had, you've had a very storied past. I imagine you have a lot of stories, good and bad that you could tell. So, um, right. I, the only reason I'm saying that is because, uh, prison came up in our talk and, um, I have it on my notes that you were paroled from prison in 1990. So man, I'm just going to drive, dive right in. How, what in life drove you to a place where you ended up incarcerated? Well, I mean, it started when I was young. Um, I grew up not knowing who my father was. Um, which is why this father thing is really, uh, uh, it hits home to me. Um, grew up not knowing he was in and out of prison himself. So I didn't know who he was. Um, he was a patch holder of a motorcycle club, um, him and my mom were. But, um, and um, then in, in my, my I, was, I think I was like nine, eight or nine years old. I, um, my mom married this guy. So I finally had a dad, somebody I could call dad, a stepdad whatever mm -hmm. you call it. Um, about a year into their marriage, he turned uh, extremely violent. And um, it was a situation where I never wanted to go home. I, I felt like I wasn't wanted. Um, uh, my mom didn't protect me from him. Um, and he took his aggressions out on me. I'm one of four siblings. I have two sisters and a younger brother. But um, and uh, so I just wanted to stay away from home. So my thing was, um, is staying away from home. All I did was hang out with the, with the, with the friends and get in trouble. And we were a low income neighborhood in Huntington beach and, uh, the trouble was everywhere. And I was right in the midst of it. And, uh, at the age of 14, I got arrested. I don't remember what it was for. It was something stupid. Anyway, I got put in juvenile hall and it was weird because I felt safe and I felt comfortable. It yeah. was just kind of a, you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. I didn't want to be home. You know, it was just, um, you know, it was just a, it was just a safe outlet for me. And that continued all the way through my 
adolescence, my teens, my adolescence, my adult life, all the way up until uh, the last time I paroled was in 1990. And I'm, I'm 59 years old. And it started when I was 14. So it's just kind of, you know, it was kind of a lifestyle and it didn't bother me. It was another home for me. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that in a long time. I think about it when kids go to school, it's a safe place for many kids. You know, it's it's the place where they can have food. It's the place where they're not going to get hit. It's the place where they're not going to get verbally abused. I used to manage a treatment facility for um, at-risk youth. And they were they were typically coming right out of juvenile detention or the state um, mm-hmm. home for mm-hmm. offenders. And uh, when they would often finally get placed back in their home, it usually was not very long till they were back uh, incarcerated right. or, or, or in juvie. And the, the pattern is there's a lot of abuse at home. And that was way safer place to be than in their own mm-hmm. home because there was control. So, so did you ever find yourself doing things just to get in there? Or do you think it was just kind of a unconscious pattern? It was, it was kind of a situation where, um, feeling so safe there when I would get out, like my first stint was six months, mm-hmm. um, got out, uh, juvenile farm out here or whatever. Anyway, um, I got out and it wasn't three or four months later, got arrested again and went back. Yeah. get another stand. And, uh, I was away more than I was home and it was just, it was just repetitive over and over and over. Then when I turned 18, they, they said, well, you were, you're 18, you get arrested again, you're going to jail. I stayed good for about three years and then went right back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, just the baggage of having a, a father like that, a father figure like that. So you, you, know, you think. do think having, uh, the abusive father is pretty much directly correlated to the decisions you made. Correct. That was my excuse. I was abused. I was this, I was that. Now I look at things totally differently. <laughs> so you fell kind of into a, a victim mentality. Uh, Correct. Yeah. So yes. how do you see things differently now when you say I see it differently? Well, the, the way that I see things now is, for instance, he, that man is still with my mother mm-hmm. and I still see him all the time. And um, I built, a, I, I, I put boundaries up because for a, a lot of years, even as an adult, I would go over to their house and hang out, want to talk to my mom and he would start getting boisterous and because that's just the way he is. He's bipolar and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And for years, I would just feel like crawling in a corner and crying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just, uh, it was a bad place until finally um, I got to a point where I told him, you know what? I'm talking to my mother. Would you shut your trap? You know what I mean? And I was like going, oh my God. My mom started laughing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, I had this strength come out of me that I've never had, you know? I think it's because what I did was I, um, I learned how to, I have no control over that. So I just gave it to God. That's, that's that's my philosophy on it. I just gave it to God. Yeah. I, I often, um, talk about the, you really don't have control over external things. It's all within yourself. And the only, um, you know, that, that is another reason why I believe faith is so foundational is it gives you a, a higher support system, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you can give something up and be like, okay, it's not in my control. So be it. I'm going to make the best of what I can and, and work on myself and let those, I can't control how those people uh, act or behave. And I'm going to, I, I would die trying. It would take way too much effort and rent too much space in my own head. So, yeah. So, um, you have this relationship with your, your stepfather. That's not great. And you're in and out of homes and, um, then you, or excuse me, juvenile, uh, did you ever stay in like treatment facilities? You said a ranch. That's kind of like that. It was, um, it was a juvenile, um, they call it, um, I don't know what they would call it. It was like a ranch. They had cattle and sheep mm-hmm. and chickens and rabbits that they, we raised and we had to do the farming and all that stuff. It was kind of a little self-contained kind of place, you know? And um, it's, it's the, the couple of the ones I went to were shut down now. I've actually been out to like revisit them and look at them and see, but they're all closed down. Um, and... Um, they were, uh, what were they called? Uh, 
because juvenile halls, I've been to like juvenile hall, which is kind of like jail for, right. for, for juveniles. And then I've been to this thing called the youth guidance center, which is another part of the juvenile facility. And then I went to the farms, which is uh, more of a uh, kind of a relaxed atmosphere. They try to teach you, you know, you can learn a trade if you want to, you can do, you know, it was more relaxed, you know, with counselors instead of cops. Right. Basically. Right. So did you feel like they, they were doing their job? Do you feel like that was, I mean, for you, it was safe. I understand that. And it was probably safe for a lot of the, the kids that were there. Do you feel like they were making an impact in your life? Uh, they did because a lot of the tools that I've learned from them, I use today. Yeah. Um, I remember the last time I got released from a juvenile facility, one of my counselor, he told me, he goes, he goes, you'll be back. And I says, no, I won't. What makes you think that? I'll never come back here. He goes, no, maybe not here, but you'll be back. I go, why? He goes, because every, there's like 90 something kids in this facility, right? And he goes, every single one of them has meetings and talks with their counselor, except you. Because I was one of those guys that I would bottle everything up, mm. hold everything in, not talk to people. Um and, uh, and it's weird because I look back now and I kept going back. It wasn't to that facility, but I kept, he was right because I didn't let it out. I didn't, my feelings or nothing. I just wouldn't let it out. So yeah. do you, when do you feel like that you kind of hit the hit change with, uh, letting out your feelings and, and talking through this stuff that you'd been through? Um, it was about, it was actually, it was about, it was only about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I mean, I, last time I was incarcerated was it was in the late eighties. Um, I paroled in 90. Um, but, um, and then after that, I just never got arrested. I just kept, you know, I was drinking and I was doing drugs now and then I was a weekend warrior and, you know, and I was, I was always out for myself. What can I get? What can I, you know, for yeah. me, girlfriends here and there, you know, um, even my wife, you know, it would be a situation where, um, we, my wife, my daughter, myself would be hanging out and they're going to go to a kid's birthday party. Right. You want to go? I said, no, I got tons of stuff to do around the house and they would leave and I'd sit on the couch with a beer. Right. You know, right. It's just, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was, uh, I was still broken, right. you know, still, still about me, still about what about me, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, really bad. Um, and then one time, one day I got a, I got an epiphany. I, ha- I was on a motorcycle ride with some buddies up North and, um, one of my friends was telling me, God, you got the nicest bike. You know, I had a road glide, you know, you got the nicest bike. You're so rad, nice house, this, that. And then I started thinking about it and I started thinking and I started, I got convicted and I, I started thinking like, it's all a lie. Oh, cause it was all a lie. It was right. just all a lie. It was a big lie, you know? And, um, I got to the points where I, I really started thinking that, um, you know, my wife is going to leave me. My daughter's not going to respect me anymore. I started getting all these weird feelings, you know, come over me and, um, got to the point to where, um, I couldn't sleep at, when I was up there, I couldn't sleep and I was just wrestling and there was a battle going on, you know, in, in my head, like, what do I do? What can I do? I want to change. I don't want to be this way anymore. And, um, I heard a voice. It said, let it out. Talk to your wife, talk to your daughter, put the cards on the table, let them know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, uh, it was, it was an eye-opening experience. And the next day we went on a motorcycle ride and then another voice came in my head telling me, you know what, your wife and your daughter, they're going to leave you. They're going to bail on you. You need to just end your life. So here I am up in logging country and, um, I, um, going down a road and I was, the, I was going to, I was going to off myself. I was going to go head on into a logging truck and that was going to be it. That way they wouldn't have to worry about me anymore. I wouldn't have to worry about them. It was going to end it. And I've seen on your things, people talk about suicide, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, it's that, at that point it's, uh, and, and that was the enemy telling me to do that. You know what I mean? And I know how that works all now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, 
he wanted me just to uh in my life because it would have caused misery everywhere everywhere you know but um but i held strong um at, at that point in time i was addicted to opiates because i had a bad ankle and i was popping them like candy and i was drinking and um it's just uh so when i got back from that trip i talked to my wife about stuff uh she was pretty much pissed off at me yeah. you know yeah but i was just letting things go i mean I, I, this is where i'm at this is what i'm going to do i need to do this this and this if you stay with me great if not i understand it was just that kind of a, a roadblock that i hit and um so um she stuck with me. She was pissed. I mean, I'm, she was pissed. She didn't know I was taking drugs. She didn't had no idea. Um, she got, we used to party together, but she got sober when uh, she got pregnant with my daughter. That was 12 years ago. Um, and um, I did it. I started going to uh, a rehab facility. I had Kaiser. They were giving me the pills, oh, you know? Yep. So, uh, so they, I went to a, an, an out, like, it's like a thing I would go there every day, you know, to, they would give me other, other drugs to, to counteract the opiates that I was all strung out on. I was taking like 10 Norcos a day, which is, oh. which is pretty bad, you know? Yeah. And back in the eighties, I was a heroin addict. So I was looking at myself when I was up in the mountains, I'm going, I'm just a heroin addict the same way I was before, <laughs> Yeah. you know? There's that, there's that thing. I think I posted on your page. If you're the same person at 40 that you were in 20, when you were 20, you just wasted 20 years of your life. Uh, that spoke so much to me. Yeah. So true. <laughs> I was, I was the same person from when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh at it. It's very sad, but right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you just went from, I mean, you, you said that you didn't share things, you held it all in and then boom, I'm just going to dump this all on my wife. I'm going right. to be open. I'm going to make massive change. And uh, I like that you brought up that she was pissed because oh, yeah. we, we think, at least I think, when I'm going to share something that's holding me back, it, that it's going to be embraced with, you know, loving understanding. But uh, the reality is, is, is it's really hurtful to other people the way we act, typically our mm -hmm. spouses and, and kids. So, mm -hmm. yeah. How long did that go on? Was she upset for a long time or? Well, she was, she was upset until I finished. Um, and I finally got sober off the pills Yeah. and, um, to change my life. What I did was, uh, there, I'm sure you've, you, 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 you've, uh, met Paul stream. Yeah. I've talked to him on the phone. Oh, he's a good dude. Yeah. He, he's my mentor kind of, you know, yeah. he, um, I knew I wanted to change my life and I knew I wanted to do something different. And I've known Paul for 25 years or something like that, you know? And um, so I called Paul because I knew he was doing something different. I didn't know what it was. He was doing something different. What's, what's, what are you doing? So I called him and I said, dude, I said, I need to change my life. He goes, where are you at? I said, home. He goes, what are you doing right now? I said, nothing. He goes, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So he came here, picked me up, took me to a, a, a men's meeting. It's called Mac men accountable to Christ. Mm. And, um, and I never left. Yeah. So that, that he just got you right into action. Got so, me right into action. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. And I was, I was still the EBGBs and I was still yeah. going through all that yeah. stuff, you know? And, um, I think you just spoke something. I know, I, I know there's a lot of, um, a lot of the stories is, encircled around Christ and, and your belief system. Um, but, but there's also the accountability of men like that. That is, that is so powerful when we can surround ourselves by men who will speak truthful and support us. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very powerful thing. So did that, uh, did, I mean, did you get clean and sober and just straighten up right then? Or was there more struggle? No, there was, there was, once I did that, there was never a relapse. Wow. I never, I never relapsed. Um, my whole, my whole life from the age of nine has been drinking and I started smoking pot and drinking and drugs. And, and, and that whole time from the age of 14 up until I was 30 in 1990 was in and out of jail and institutions. And you know what I mean? It was just, it was just an ongoing thing, 
You know, I was uh, homeless for a while, pushing a shopping cart down the street in Costa Mesa down here, you know, uh, living in a storage shed, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, now I'm a homeowner for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> but, um, but, um, it's, and it's kind of weird. It's like when I first got sober, it was really weird. I'm like, wanted to take my glasses off. It's like, here, put these glasses on, check out what I see, see yeah. what I see, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I found out down the road that, that that's not, you can't do that. No. <laughs> yeah. So have you had any of the men um, and people you partied with and hung with from the past kind of come back in in those last seven years? Has that caused any problems or or any or any issues or you, did you just kind of t- completely break free from that crowd or that group? Um, at first, it was kind of weird because um, I, I kept feel, feeling like I was going to be lonely. I was going to lose all these friends and I was going to be lonely. And that's the reason it was one of the hard things about it. But then after thinking about it, when I was in my addiction and stuff, I was always lonely anyways. Yeah. You know, because I would always, after the bars closed and stuff, I would just be doing my own thing and I was by myself. Yeah. So I was lonely anyways, you know, so it, so it, um, I, I'm in contact. One of the guys that I used to be my roommate back then, and we used to party a lot and stuff. He's the guy that did the stucco on my house, you know? You know, he's a, he's a brother. Now he's doing great. He's a father himself, you know, um, another guy that helped me, um, do a lot of the work on the house. He's a, he's a guy that, um, goes to the same church. His name's Jason. I took a picture of him on my couch with a coffee mug and his son. Oh yeah. And, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he goes, can I have some coffee? I said, yeah, as long as you use this cup. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's your brotherhood cup. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right on, exactly. Man. I saw you know, that picture. He's, yeah. He's a, he's a good dude. He goes, and then he goes, great picture. Jonathan's not even smiling. I'm like, well, <laughs> you don't like pictures, you know, <laughs> but uh, he's a tremendous fa- single father. He's a single father. That's and, uh, he's doing a tremendous job with his son. And yeah. I'm proud of that man. But um, yeah, it's, that's an extra, I mean, not, not to go into his life, but uh, having spoken to a lot of single fathers, who are either raising their kids alone or sharing, man, that is a, a, that's an extra special and extra difficult role. It's just mm-hmm. pretty significant. So, um, Oh yeah. Massive kudos to those guys that give it their all. Um, I know there's some listeners that have expressed that it's, it's, it's a struggle. Um, yeah. so let's get into, into, you know, all this counts, but let's get into what really counts. I mean, your daughter, your daughter, mm-hmm. you have two daughters. I have two daughters. I have, I have one that's 37. Mm -hmm. And when she was born, I was in prison. (laughs) Starting (laughs) that one out, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I was following my dad's footsteps, you know, it was kind of like I was doing the, Mm -hmm. you know, the whatever. And, um, it's, uh, it's kind of a trip. Uh, and, uh, now our relationship is is when she when when she first decided to call me dad that just i mean that just like oh my god you know Mm -hmm. and it was a situation to where it made me feel so good and so proud to be her father you know and now she's now she's got three daughters wow you know and um they love me um they live they live about uh, it's probably about an eight hour drive so they live a good distance away from me but um, we try to get together once or twice a year, you know, um, like that, that circle picture that I sent you, Yep. you know, that's, that's uh, uh, my two daughters, my wife and my three granddaughters okay. on that picture. Yeah. That's pretty significant. <laughs> so you, uh, how were you pretty much estranged from your daughter or she was, how would you say that Where disconnected where you weren't in touch with her for a long time, your older daughter? Yes. Because her mom, her mom was a mess too. Uh-huh. And so her, her, uh, her grandparents got custody of her. When I was in prison, I got a letter in the mail that it was, I had to have it notarized and stuff. And, uh, luckily I worked in the admin buildings. I know how to type, you know, so yeah. they put, they had, I had, I worked with regular people when I was in prison, but anyway, so I had connections in there and I had somebody notarize it for me and stuff. It was to, uh, give them full conservatorship of, of my daughter. I had to give up my rights to my daughter. And at the time when I was in there, I was sober, sound mind thinking this is best for her. 
because she needs that. She needs the stability of that. Otherwise she'd go in the foster system. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so I gave up custody of her and, um, we were, and, she, and uh, her grandparents and her aunt didn't want me anywhere in her life because of what they heard or whatever, which was true, you know, and yeah. I understand it. Understandably, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't that guy, you know, to be a father at the time, but uh, so um, we were estranged. And then um, I got a call from her mother. I don't know how she got my number, but she called me. And told me that my daughter was going to go into uh, foster care when she was 16. Oh. And uh, so what I did was, and it was just in San Luis Obispo County. So I drove up there to the court hearing for her. Her aunt was trying to get her into foster care. And I went up there and I talked to the judge. I said, look, I'll step up. I will, I will be her foster parent. I'm her real dad. I will take, take her. You know, even though I still wasn't in the right state of mind, I was still partying and stuff, you know, I didn't want her to go through that. So I became a single father. So I got custody. Of so her. you've done the single father thing. I did the single father thing for a while, even though I was still running amok, you know, mm -hmm. and it wasn't good. Um, it was um, after thinking about it, a lot of a lot of me, a lot of part of me thinks that I was doing it for my own self-interest. Yeah. Right. You know. That's a tough, I mean, that's, tough pill to swallow later on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a tough pill to swallow. Um, and then I found um, some drugs in her room one day. And, um, you know, I don't know, even though I was doing them, it was bad for her and it was wrong for her to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Shame right. on you and all that stuff, you know. And, um, you know, now I think now I think a parent that drinks has no right to tell their kid not to drink. <laughs> that's just you know what i mean that's a, i mean if they're if they're drunks right right there's a difference there yeah <laughs> it's a real interesting conversation it's come up multiple times um you know around swearing around drinking around all these different things you know uh, somebody early on asked uh if i swear is it is it okay for me to swear and ask my kids not to and um uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna just tell you what i believe is if you're doing it they're gonna do it there's just right. zero. I mean, so you just have right. to decide if that's what you want them to do. If not, just fix yourself, man. Just right. like, like you're going to do it for yourself. That's one thing you can do it for a kid, you know, get a little motivation, but um, that's the way I see it. So, so did you kind of have a falling out at that point? Did she move out? I mean, she's, she's doing drugs. You're saying no, you're doing them on the same, at the same time. Yeah. I was hiding them from her, whatever, she you know, I mean, knew. it's, she knows, she knows all this stuff yeah. now, you know, she knows all this stuff now, but um, yeah, she moved out. She went and moved in with a friend of hers, some, some, some older lady that they, 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 they became good friends, you know, when she was younger and in high school and stuff. And, you know, and, um, these things, other oh, bracelets. Yes. Pattern interrupt. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's, I, I use this when I was trying to get away from cussing, I'd cuss and I'd snap myself in the wrist. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wear mine every day. I haven't come up with yep. a pattern interrupt with it yet. Um, but it's that's the idea, right? Um, right? We're talking about the silicone races or bracelets or wristbands, whatever you want to call them. We have these all black brotherhood of fatherhood um, wristbands that uh, guys who buy product get. And uh, I also have a great friend who does a phenomenal job coaching men through health and fitness, and he talks about pattern interrupt and using it. But um, yeah, so uh, it's a great a great way to break a habit. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, it is. So now you have a 12-year-old daughter, and you said you've been sober for seven years. So that leaves five right. years of her her life where you're kind of still li li living a double life, pretty much. Correct. Yeah. Correct. She doesn't remember any of it. She doesn't. Um, I was, but, but I was always there. I was there throughout the pregnancy, talking to her in the belly, doing all that stuff, you know all the hospital appointments. I was, I was with my wife through all of that stuff, you know, um, during a birth, I cut the umbilical cord. You know what I mean? I mean, I was through, went through all that stuff with her 
And, um, but mentally I wasn't there, yeah. you know, I just wasn't, uh, attached, I guess you can say, you know? So she's 12. Um, 12 is a, uh, I, I have a 12 year old, uh, depending on the child. Our first, our first child was a breeze at 12. My second, not so much. How, how's it going? It's actually going pretty good. She, uh, we got her in a Christian school, mm -hmm. Christian based school. She's actually, uh, the, her school where they went to the beach today, which is kind of nice. <laughs> wow. That sounds great. <laughs> I know. Right. But, um, it's only about 90 here today. I think 85, 90, but, um, anyways, um, she is, um, I, 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 sometimes I wonder if she's my kid, you know, because she's, um, thank you, dad. Oh, you're welcome. You know, she's, you know, honey, it's time to go to bed. Okay, dad, let me brush my teeth first. I mean, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know, you know, it's, um, uh, my wife and I, we talk a lot about, raising her and stuff and what we should do. And we communicate a lot because we went through that re-engaged course that you yep. talked about, yep. you know, you guys went through it too. And it's just, um, that thing, I don't know if your listeners, anybody that ever hears about it in their church or whatever, do it. Yeah. My, my wife and I actually lead it. We've led a few. Oh, nice. Yeah. We've led nice. it for a couple of years and, um, for, for married couples, whether they're believers or not, doesn't matter. It's right. Uh, it's, right. it's an incredible course. It's typically very inexpensive, just the price of the book. Uh, it's like 20 bucks. Yeah, but it's, it's – uh, so where were you going with that? Because it sounds to me like you guys parent um, together. You, 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 we do. Okay. We do. Yeah. Um, as far as like the parenting together, uh, I was saying that re-engage class was great because um, – it caused us to where we don't just pass each other in the hallway, right? Like, like our relationship was, even though we were doing okay, it changed it to where we actually sit down and have conversations about life and stuff. And how was your day and all this really, I mean, right. stuff that's, uh, that's, uh, hi on. Awesome. She just got her hair done. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I know. But, um, uh, parenting together as a team, um, it's, it has phenomenal results because if you try to parent by yourself, it just becomes a conflict between the two of you and the kid gets confused and doesn't know what to do yeah. because you're getting mixed messages and, and the kids, they need a, they need a solid foundation and they need something to, uh, some structure, you know? I mean, a lot of parents try to be, oh, I'm the better parent. I let her do this and I let her do that. And I give her this and, and she won't give it, you know, and stuff like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't it just, work. It, no, it and doesn't work. It's, it's very difficult on the child. And the, the, there's a course out there called love and logic. And it really mm. does really explain how like my wife and I parent, she's very logical and I'm, it's typically it's the opposite for men and women. And I'm would be called the, the softer one. Or, you know, if the boys know that, something's a little edgy, they'll come to me first because she is so log logical. And um, that can cause massive issues. Like if we, mm -hmm. if, if the kids find a, a dissonance or a difference between the way that we parent, um, then they can start to manipulate that or it's, it's unclear how they're going to be responded to. And it all comes down to 100% clear and um, intentional communication on how we're going to handle every situation and um, communication, communication is absolute key because, and I think most couples would find that they have different parenting styles, 100% mm -hmm. different, but there's, oh, yeah. there's a really great place in the middle where it works really well. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Yeah. Another tool that I think helps is, um, and we've talked about with her is both of us were raised to where if a parent told you to do something, you go, why? They say, cause I said so. Right. Instead of explaining the reason behind it, you know, mm -hmm. because if you don't do this, this and this and this, it will be the consequence and it, this might happen or, you know what I mean? Just yeah. a little bit of ex explanation because if you're told don't do it cause I said so, what does that make you want to do? 
do it. I want to go. I got to try it to see what the problem is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I made this analogy in a video I posted not too long ago was the, the coach that says, do better. You know, someone's out like a pitcher's out there and he walks. Uh, I have this story. My brother, my brother-in-law was a pitcher and the coach would come out, you know, stop the game, come out to the mound. He'd go do better. And he'd turn around and walk away. And he's like, what am I doing? I have no clue what I'm doing. Well, I love that. Right. I love that story because that's how, what we do as parents mm-hmm. all the time. Like, don't do that. Or that was not right. And in a mm-hmm. kid's mind, they don't have the experience or the, the, the way to process like why. Mm-hmm. And I think right. it's a massive, in, it's just not right to say, don't do something without logic. Um, and it, 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 sometimes it can be emotional logic for them. Sometimes it's actually just straight up logic. You'll get hit by a car. You'll die. It's, you know, right, um, right. it's not parenting just to tell somebody to not do something. Uh, parenting mm-hmm. is taking the extra steps and being loving enough to uh, walk mm-hmm. the walk, talk the talk, and love your kids enough to explain to them every single thing. So I love that you yeah. said that. Um, so she's 12. And you have, you said your other daughter's 30, 37. 37. So did they have a relationship, your two daughters? They do. That's awesome. They have a, they have a great relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always thought there was going to be that, that, well, you got him as a dad and I didn't. And, you know, that conflict oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But there, there's, there's none of that, at least that I can see here that it's, it's, there's none of that. Uh, my older daughter's in a really good place right now. Um, she's got a very loving, very successful husband, you know, um, they're, they're, they're in a good place. They, they've had their rocky moments throughout their relationship, you know, but now they're, 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 uh, I'm sure they still have their moments, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody does, but, um, but they're stable and they're great. And they're, my grandkids are growing up great. They're growing up fine. You know, and it's, um, it's like I say from like, from like my dad to me, it's, it's like, I I wanted, I broke the chain. I wanted to break that chain. Yeah. And that's a very common, um, actually excuse for men to, uh, when they fail at parenting, I've heard it many, many times as well. My father failed and it's, Mm. you know, instead, instead of like walking away and breaking that chain that that I would call it a legacy of, and they're breaking that and creating a real legacy. That's awesome. Some of them just Mm -hmm. fall into it and repeat it. And Mm -hmm. and that's really scary because that's what they know. Um, So kind of a, as a way to kind of wrap this up, it's going to be a long wrap up because I think uh, there's a lot, a lot here, but what, what would you say to men right now? I kind of want to, I kind of want to drop into um, substance use and abuse and and drinking so um when is it a problem when is it okay and from your point of view this is this is strictly opinion so when are uh let's just talk about alcohol do you do you have a a way have you seen from your experience different men and what is okay and what's not as far as consuming alcohol um that's kind of a tough one. Um, I know that there's, uh, I know some men and, and, you know, family members or whatever that uh, they go to dinner, they have a glass of wine yep. or something, or they, you know, have a cocktail after work or something like that. Um, my thing is me, I can't, I can't touch it. I just stay away because, because if, if I have a beer, I end up behind the bar in an alley with a cop's boot on my neck. Right. That's just, that's just the progression that I, that I take. So I abstinence is for me. I just can't, mm-hmm. I just don't. And I won't, but, um, cause I already know the outcome, <laughs> Yeah. but yeah. as far as like, uh, alcohol drugs are a kind of a bozo. No, no, regardless or whatever. That's just, you just don't, I mean, that's, that's stupidity. You know, well, pot's legal. Well, okay, it's legal to sit on the couch and eat potato chips all day. It's okay, still gonna so kill it's you. legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. You know what I, I mean? Don't know, I don't know it, the repercussions. It'll take longer to die, you know, okay. or whatever, you know. Yeah. But um, alcohol, if it interferes with 
like a, a normal way of life in my attitude. If somebody that wants to drink casually, we call them normies, you know? Um, if it interferes with your life, if you wake up with a hangover, you drink too much. You got to start looking at what's going on. Um, if you're doing it to, they, they say that, you know, man, I, I really want to have a drink after, after work, you know? I hear that a lot. Yeah. Or if you say, I need, I need a drink, there's a problem because you're trying to numb something out. If you need a drink, you're trying to numb something out and trying to close something out so you don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Then when you wake up hungover, you think about it twice as much anyway and it's and you're in pain, you know? Yeah. But um so it's you really can't, I mean, what's at the heart of it is what you're saying. It's like what's 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 behind it. If you're trying to hide, it's not okay. If it's a right okay. If it's a half right. to yeah. So um uh, now I want to jump back into where you were and where you are now, because you, you mm-hmm. told us a story where you had pretty much envisioned, you know, just pulling your motorcycle, just swerving into a lane in front of a log truck. And there's no way out of that one. Um, how mm-hmm. do you get from there to, I mean, you seem like a pretty positive guy. You're involved in other men's lives. Um, you seem like hope is a, is a pretty, is pretty clear. You're, you're mm-hmm. hopeful about your life. You love your life. Um, how do you get from point A to point B? How did you? From point A to point B to me in, in my situation, because all my life I've always locked everything inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, like, like get all you can, can all you get and sit on the lid. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and never, never expose weakness, never show um, uh, any remorse for anything. It just... Um, Cause we're always taught as men, don't ask for directions, you know, right. Find your, find your own way. Don't ask for directions. That's, that's, that's the, the weak, weak man asks for directions, you know, um, don't show emotion, you know, and, and, and to me, the key to happiness in life is to let your emotions flow. I mean, whatever kind of emotion you're having, have it, ask directions. If you don't know how to do something, ask somebody. You know, I say, um, I tell my daughter that all the time. I says, I says, if you ask somebody for help on something, you feel stupid for about three minutes. If you don't ask for something, you're always going to be stupid. I love that. Because you're never going to learn. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Right. And, and like me, it's like, I mean, I like read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And before I've never, I was that guy that knew everything. I know everything. Oh, you can't tell me. I know, you know, I know everything. And now I look at it like, I don't know nothing. Yeah. You know, I know nothing and I want to absorb all that I can, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like when, um, like at my church, I'm a youth leader. I've been a youth leader for a couple of years now over there. And, uh, when I first started as a youth leader, all I had in my tool belt was bad decisions. You know what I mean? Don't do that because of this, you know, right. and, and, and learning more and learning more. I, I can help teach these kids better. And because the church we belong to, it's kind of a recovery church and the kids are kind of jacked up from, they're kind of like me, you know right. what I mean? Right. That's what, that's why I feel comfortable there. Like I did in juvenile hall. So you're giving <laughs> back where you wish you would have had some support probably. Correct. Cause I had nothing like that. Right. Nothing. Right. Yeah. So, um, um so what is, What's like one, I'd love to hear one um, marriage, because it sounds like your your marriage is, is going well. It's kind of moving mm-hmm. up to the next level. You've been married for, I think you said, 18 years. 18 years, yeah. yeah. Um, what's, what's your top piece of advice to make marriages better? Listen. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not just with your ears. Listen, really and don't. Don't try to fix. Don't try to fix. Sometimes uh, I've learned that when my wife wants to talk about something, it's just she just wants to talk and just listen. Because, I mean, for years, I'm always trying to trying to fix, you know, I want to. Why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? Well, you know what I did, you know, and and just try to fix it. You can't. You just have to listen. It's like uh, my wife will be mad. She'll storm off into the room and go lay in the bed reader ipad or whatever you know what i mean yeah and i'll i'll wait a little while and i'll go back and i'll sit on the bed you know she'll go what i'll go nothing and i'll just kind of sit there <laughs> you know what I mean? and you just can't um 
you, you got to look at look at it like you're an equal. You yeah. can't be the dominant. The the you know that the, I mean, being the head of the household and leading. You know, it's weird. Um, this was about I want to say about a month and a half ago. My wife came to me and said, um, she goes, you know what, Johnny? She goes, I just have to say that I am so proud that you're a leader of our family and, and, and how far you've come to do this. And I just like, I just lost it I bet you did. You know I mean? <laughs> Yeah, because that is something that um, it's not like I, I was trying to do anything. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just to prove anything to her or, or, or none of that, none of that, you know? And for her to say that to me, it just like, it just, it, 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 it broke my heart, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in a good way. Right. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I learned that maybe this happened in, in re-engage, but I learned with my, cause you brought it up. I learned with my wife, what I do now is she, when she's upset or has something to talk that she talks about. And the first thing I do is start thinking of solutions like, Oh, you should do this. Mm-hmm. You should do this. So now instead of like just jumping in, I literally stop and I say, okay, do you want me to just listen or would you like me to help give solutions? And 98% of the time it's just listen. It's just, listen. I need to get it off my, but there's a, it's the 2%. And it's very, it's very <laughs> rewarding for me, <laughs> but I found that things go so much smoother when I prep it, when I fix my own mind on what is it that you want and I think right. that's really good advice is just listen. Um, so, and I think many men fall into that trap. So now and don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. No, I revert back sometimes, you know, I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes the, the, the old Johnny comes back, oh, and yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it is what it is, but yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, I think that's just such a great piece of advice is, is listen. And then, um, raising, raising kids. What's your, your big takeaway right now? What do you really kind of find as a, a piece of success for you or for fathers you see? Um, for fathers, I see it's like right now, it's like that thing that I shared on your, on your page, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, as far as like uh, raising a kid is um, just be involved. Yeah. Just, just be involved, you know, um, Go to their games if they got games. Um, cheer them on. Don't go to the game and sit on your phone. It, it, I mean, you know, be involved, be interested. Um, because being a father, especially having a daughter, you know, um, they need to look at you as the person that they see and the person they're going to date when they get older. That's I love that. Yes. You know, they have to see that in you and the same as a son, I don't have a son, so I can't really say that. But the way that I feel about it is that son has to grow up watching you, how you treat your wife. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. You know, because it's going to, it's going to, it's going to transition to when they grow up and, you know, and, and, and a daughter that uh, is in an abusive family house, she's going to think it's normal to be abused by a guy. And you know what I mean? And one thing I told my daughter, I says, you know what, Bella, I says, um, you can do anything you want. And I said, I will support you 110% as long as it's ethical as long as it hopefully helps other people. You know what I mean? And as long as it doesn't make you feel bad about doing it, I just said, it doesn't matter what you want to do, you know? And that is something that, um, it just makes her, and she always, now she always wants me to do projects with her and you know what I mean? And it's just, it opened up a whole nother door. That's really good advice. It's really, it's really good advice. I, I spoke late just recently about, um, you know, trying to engage with your kids and how to not overdo it and underdo it because we have this tendency to, to dive all in. And then they learn that that's part of their identity, but by telling them, Hey, whatever it is, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there with you. And I love the ground rules you said. So you said, um, as long as it is ethical, as long as it helps other, and as long as you don't feel bad about doing it. Is that what, Mm -hmm. what they were? Right. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I teach teacher that, um, um, there's a feeling that you get a long, a long time ago when she was in, I think first grade, um, she was at uh, school. Oh, let me tell you the story real quick. Sure. Okay. This, this is why I feel like I got convicted. Okay. My daughter, we put it, we had her in uh, preschool 
right? Mm -hmm. And we pay the extra money so she can read more. She can start math already before even kindergarten. She was learning Spanish and she was doing all this stuff, you know, because we had the money we pay for it, you know? So we put her in kindergarten in the public school system, okay? And after a couple of weeks, she's like, what'd you learn in school? She's like, the A is for Apple and she already knows how to read. You know what I mean? She can almost read. So I talked to the teacher and I said, is there something um, that we could do to like bump her up or something or whatever, you know, nope, the curriculum is what the curriculum is. Okay. So I pull her out and put her in a Christian based school that we pay for, which whatever, you know what I mean? And just to give her that foundation or whatever, because they let you work at your pace, you know, it's not state run or whatever. And, um, so what was happening is every week she had to learn a Bible verse and I was helping her study her Bible verses. Right. And me being the psych, the guy I am, I got to like, so I had to get a Bible and I had to research and read the whole thing in context. And you know what I mean? And I think that's what drove me to where I am today. Yeah. You know, so I, I look at my life. She even knows that that's kind of her testimony that, that her going to a Christian school is kind of what saved me and brought me into the, brought me to the man that I am. Wow. I bet kind she has weird. a lot of pride in that. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. 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 That it's, is really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. But um Yeah, we won't get into the school thing because I I, I used to teach yeah. and I that's why I had to go. I mean, I just I it's like I can't I can't do it just because I'm supposed to do it. If it's not right, if it doesn't match, it's not doesn't make sense, but we're not gonna get into that. So good for you for right, making right, a decision yeah. that was best in her interest. Um yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for spending time with us and kind of sharing some of your stories and what you've learned. I think you probably have um, a lot more to share, but we'll we'll, uh, leave it there. Thanks again, man. Thank you so much for listening in on this great conversation with Johnny. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And being a father and being a husband is not an easy task. And I think every man needs as much help as he can get. That's why we created the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. First thing you got to do, gentlemen, is go to Facebook and join our group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. If you are not a man, a father, or an expectant father, you can always follow us on the Brotherhood of Fatherhood page. We would love that. The greatest thing you could do today is subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating. That would be really cool. I uh, want to thank you personally for hopping on, listening, and giving us your time. If you are a father or a husband or both, preferably, and you are struggling in some part of your marriage or being a father, or you simply don't want to get to that point, we offer coaching. So, man, get in touch with us. Let's do a 10-minute call and just find out if there's anything that we can do for you. Scott at brotherhoodfatherhood.com or joshbrotherhoodfatherhood.com or you can hit us up on Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's about it. Thanks again for being our listener. Have a great day.